0: We feel like a very small, intimate group tonight, so we can speak among ourselves, we can have a conversation, especially quiet, and I'm, I'm so grateful for, to be able to drop into the quiet with you. And I've got many streams in my mind tonight, many thoughts. And I think I would like to use as a template for our conversation, for the talk, a line that's been running through my head for the last four hours or so, uninvited Dharma thought, And it is the words of the, some consider the greatest Zen master, Dogen. Uh, And the words of Dogen, where he said, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by the myriad things. So I think this is pretty accurate, that we begin our practice, our practice of awakening to reality, to the present moment, by attending to the most obvious the most obvious draw to our attention, which is what we, in general, or superficially call ourselves. We call attention, we are drawn to pay attention to our individuality, and the way that we are captivated by our individuality is by our Um, physical experience that is uh, calling our attention continually. And when I say our physical experience is calling our attention continually, we have these, as the Buddha described, along with him describing the fathom-long body, he says, with its perceptions and inner sense. So it's perceptions and senses. We have these senses that are continually getting activated. This is what we call ourselves, our personhood. We each person has perceptions and inner sense. We have eyes, we have ears, we have nose, we have a tongue, have body. We have thoughts and feelings. And that's the, that is continually, these are if we are born, we are continu- these are continually becoming impinged upon or being stimulated. And every time they get stimulated, there is some kind of reaction that happens. We react with pleasure when the, uh, when the pleasant sense experiences arise. We react with displeasure or, or aversion when the unpleasant, and, we, and when it's neither pleasant or unpleasant... We get bored or just space out, and then we're and then we're stimulated by the the uh, the door of perception called mind. We have all kinds of thoughts about ourselves and feelings, and all of this reinforces the sense of being somebody, and the, it reinforces the sense of being somebody that exists apart from everybody else. So we begin to study this experience that we call ourselves. We s- study the constellation of different repeating emotional experiences, repeating thoughts, That whatever it is that gives us that felt sense of being somebody. And we study that. And then the more we study it, the more we become sensitive to all of these streams that are running in us. And interestingly enough, the more we become sensitive to the streams that are running in us, we start to attune to the fact that these same streams are running in everybody. We start to have a sense what lives inside of me lives inside of you. So the more we come to this, as I'd use the word, single point, sometimes it's called the word is called in Pali, it's called ekagata, the one point, one pointedness. It's the deeper meaning of that is the one point that includes everything. So the more we come to the using our own sense experience as our study of the self, we begin to have some felt experience or intuition that we don't um, exist so independently apart from each other or what moves inside of me moves inside of you. So without even knowing it, as we study the self, we begin to, um, we begin, the the so-called independent self begins to melt away into uh, something a little less separate and a little more connected. And yet, and then the more we study this, constellation of experiences this felt experience of being somebody the more we study these experiences of the senses the the sights that come moment by moment because we all, all we have is moment by moment experience that's the totality of our life is moment by moment an unfolding present we get to see that but that reality is, in some ways, moment to moment. Even though we can't see where one moment stops and the next begins, this is the way we talk about it, that it's just now. And when we look more closely at that sense of now, we see, you can see, that what I have taken to be this constellation called self, moment to moment, is simply a flash appearing and disappearing, changing experience. And the more I see that, the more I see that everything that I take to be me and mine is in a constant state of flux and change. I see that there is no, in the midst of this, this what feels like a constellation of separateness, there is no separateness to be found. There is no thing to be found. There is no self in the eyes and what is seen there's no self in what is heard there's no f- self in what is smelled or tasted or felt or thought about even thoughts are their own thinkers feelings are their own feelers they appear and they disappear without any uh, ultimate sense of agency now from a from a more a less studied point of view a less meditative point of view a more what we would call relative or conventional point of view this whole discovery is happening to me and your discovery is happening to you so it does not deny our conventional sense of individuality but the more we look carefully at what we call myself we see for we see for ourselves that this construction, what the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, self-view, is really just an idea. That there truly is no self that exists independently apart from everything that influences us and influences it. And as we see through this veil this illusion of self that we are studying we come to realize that if there is no independent self existence there is no in fact there is no other as Thich Nhat han put it you are me and i am you isn't it obvious that we enter are You cultivate the flower in yourself so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you and you support me. I am in this world to offer you peace. You are in this world to bring me joy. Now how does one come to that realization? It sounds like lovely flowery words. I am, you are me and I am you. We intuit this in some way. But when we have, when we have pierced this veil of concepts, the concept of self. When we have studied the self, as he, as Dogen says, to study the self, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To to study the self is to forget the self. So we see ultimately that there is no independent self. There is just this. Sea of inter interbeing. And this comes out of our direct experience. And we we experience this as, as a slow melting of this a tight, a kind of tight-hearted contraction, all about me, all about mine, all about what I want, all the different ways that we become shrouded in the constellation of the sense of me. It, whether it's because of our, the color of our skin, our privilege, whether it's because of, of our, our, our um, marginalization, because of our, our wounds, because of our traumas. For so many ways, we constellate very innocently into a feeling and a deepening feeling of separateness. So our practice is a slow, unbinding, unwinding opening of, our, of this very narrow, limited view of reality to this wider gravitational field of, of interbeing. To study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self, or I like to say see through the self to see through the self and this leads to the last part to see through the self or to forget the self is to be awakened by the myriad things now this could this happens meditatively to be awakened by the myriad things as one sees that as one studies the self and sees and forgets the idea of self and just looks moment to moment at what's happening, studies reality, the myriad things, the array of things that appear and disappear, everything that comes into our awareness, everything that we notice, everything that we hear, everything that we smell, everything we taste, everything we feel from that vantage of studying the self and not looking at it through the le- through the lens of me and mine everything becomes the cause of awakening if i see in this sangha if i see someone causing harm to another my heart in that moment is awakened. It's awakened to caring. It's awakened to compassion. It's awakened to some kind of passion to uh, to do something about that which I see is is incomplete. I don't slink away in my I don't slink away into my my self protection back into my view of self. I don't let myself be victimized by what I see. I realize that what I see is not apart from me, and what is not apart from me is needs to be attended to, just as I would my own hunger, my own thirst, my own self-care. It's no different, a care for another person is absolutely from the perspective Of being awakened by the myriad thing, it is no different than taking care of one's own mind and body. How does this happen? It happens through treating everything, everything that arises in the doors of perception equally. This is why we practice Vipassana. We don't exclusively practice just tranquility meditation, just mindfulness meditation, just um, concentration meditation. We don't just hide out in a compartment of mind because it brings so much healing and so much so much tranquility, so much bliss. We do that. We we cultivate tranquility of mind, concentration of mind, one pointedness to unleash all of the human capacities to care all of the all of the sensitivity that is embedded in a mind that is and a heart that is plugged in to the inexhaustible present. That when we check out or when we get caught in ourselves, we get dulled, we get contracted, and then we're and then our our dis ease then gets projected and blamed on everyone else. So here we just we open up and we see what is this, for example, what does this Sangha need? What is, what is, what's needed here? You see this is not Howie's Sangha, this is my Sangha. This is this is all of our Sangha. Why is it any more mine than yours? So what's needed and what's lacking here? What do we what do we need to do? It's not lost on me that I think we're actually becoming a little more diverse sangha, which I really, really want more than anything in the world for us to be rep- be inclusive, to have everyone uh, feel welcome. And yet, you know, we have a lot of work to do on that regard. And my eyes are open to that. And pe- some people feel it. Some people don't. They don't come back because they don't they don't feel. Represented here, and that's you know that's something that we have to we have to be able to confess to ourselves our delusions. We have to come out of whatever the shrouds we have of of um, of, of self. And I say this not in any kind of critical or blaming way, because all of us have gotten caught up in the constellation of me and mine and what makes us uh, individual and unique and that's so important to do on one on one level but we have taken self importance to um, to a um, to high to a excessive level to the point where we we can easily be oblivious and uh, i don't want to hide away and in, in i don't want to be shrouded by obliviousness so i want to be awakened by the myriad things, so I don't want to. Even though, even though things like uh, the the um, excessive force and the constant profiling and how difficult it is for African Americans in places in everywhere, places like Ferguson, I don't. Even though that doesn't in my own individual white privilege, I'm not touched by that every day. But I don't want to be. I don't want to be just living in a vortex of my own comfort. I want to be awakened by the myriad things. I want that to break my heart. And we all have work to do about that. So to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to see through the self and to be awakened and then be able to respond to the myriad things. Not be asleep at the wheel in our own own preoccupations. So how do we do that? Except... Not treating, um, not treating the other uh, as separate. Treating the other as ourself. It means being willing to feel pain, because this world has plenty of it. I, I haven't, it's been a few, months, a few months since I shared this very inspiring, to me a very inspiring uh, vignette about the Dalai Lama. But I think all of us have a Dalai Lama in us, so I, it's not just to elevate him, but it's to see that we have the same capacity. This is a, a story told by the ex-mayor of Salt Lake City, Utah, about a trip he made to to um, Nepal. I'll just I'll read it. In 1997, I traveled to Darm or to, it was to India. I traveled to Dharamsala, India. My former wife, Kathy, and my sister-in-law, Mary Lee, had grown close to the Tibetan community that had resettled in Utah. Perhaps overly impressed with my status as a former Salt Lake City mayor, the Tibetans had arranged for us to meet the Dalai Lama and to invite him to Utah. I looked forward to meeting his holiness, much like any lucky tourist would, I sought sought no great religious or transformative experience. I admired the Dalai Lama's history as an expatriate from communist China and his reputation as a man of peace. I carried letters from Governor Mike Leavitt and business leaders and other documents to formally invite the great leader to Utah. I had no idea how deeply spiritual our visit would become. The meeting with His Holiness would rank as one of the most treasured moments of my life, along with the births of my children, climbing high mountain peaks, and other deeply personal experiences. As we ambled along the streets of Dharamsala, the morning of our appointment with His Holiness, we met by sheer coincidence a Utah couple. They had stayed for several days, hoping for some way to meet the Dalai Lama. We offered to see if they might join us, After relaying passport numbers and other security information, they were granted permission to come along. We entered the Dalai Lama's residence, each holding a white Buddhist blessing scarf. He placed the scarves around our necks and uttered a few blessing words. We sat on comfortable couches with with the holy man, surrounded by a group of muscular monks. I surmised they were a security detachment. The Dalai Lama opened with small talk, his wit and iconic smile bringing resonant laughter from the guards. A group of designated laughers, I thought, with some amusement. We formally invited him to Utah. Then suddenly the formality dissolved. Looking intently at the couple that had joined us that morning, and with no visible cue from anyone, he said, You are sad. Our friends broke down. Through gentle sobs, they explained their young son had recently committed suicide. A pause hung in the air. The Dalai Lama simply waited and waited. As we muffled sobs, His Holiness slid across the couch and reached for the couple's faces, grasping their cheeks He pulled their faces next to his. He held them for for perhaps a minute, an eternity for such an intimacy. And then he said, softly, simply, sad. He offered no other words, no assurances of heaven, as we Westerners have come to expect when dissecting death. He explained nothing. There was no utterance of time heals, no nicety, that God needed him elsewhere, nothing. The tears ceased, and then it was time to leave. So clearly, I don't this speaks for itself, but clearly to study the Buddha Dharma, as the Dalai Lama has, is to study the self, to study the self- is to see through the independent self-existence. And to see through the independent self-existence is to be able to meet a couple like that as though one is meeting oneself. Not fitting it into some separate category of life, some compartment, but just meeting it directly. Coming to that one point that includes everything. Easing into the boundless, right where it touches him, and that's um, what—that's what our capacity is. And it's no small thing just to even stop and keep quiet. So it's—I so that's why I'm so appreciative that you come, that you sit here. But it's not just to get quiet. It's not just to have a little tranquility. It's to let to become passionate about our life and our presence, so that it so that it unleashes this um, this heart, this heart of goodness and caring and generosity, and that something that will help us see that what exists in what lives inside of you lives inside of me, and that we aren't so separate. So I could not. So we have to come to a point where we can't just say it's happening to them. It's happening to all of us. Everything is happening. The Palestinian thing is happening to us. Ferguson, everything is happening to us. How do we not know this? Because we're, we are shrouded in, uh, innocently in our own preoccupations. So each of us, slowly, slowly, in whatever way we can, we open up. We take a look. Rather than, like I said, hide away in fear and dullness, blame others for what we're not—we don't see being attended to. We we do it ourselves, freed of the burden of fear, and and what about me? Of course, we'd have to tend to ourselves, otherwise we'd get stuck in ourselves, but we could do a lot more to take care of each other. So I don't really have the answers other than I know that the Dharma helps us see through that self-illusion, helps the, help, the Dharma helps us to open our hearts to all beings in all circumstances, be able to feel the joy of this world, and be able to join in that with a sense of, of altruistic joy, but also to f- feel the sorrow of this world and to join in that and not see it as, um, as something to avoid, but just open to the fact of it and, that, and allow that unique human experience that our pain, human, I think only humans... Our pain becomes the cause of our happiness. Our difficulties end up being the thing that liberates us. Only humans have that. But why not make use of it? Open. Open. Of course, we have to start with opening to our own pain. Can't leave that out. Let's see if there's anything else I want to say. I guess I'll read, I'll end my words, and I'd love to hear from you, from Pesha Joyce Gertler. Her poem called The Healing Time. Finally on my way to yes, I bump into all the places I said no to my life. And when I think of my life, it's everything. It's not just my own internal world. It's everything. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life, all the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart. And I say to everything, holy, holy. I think we'll do questions tonight. Let's just sit quietly. May our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May that dedication lead to a passionate dedication to discovering happiness and the causes of happiness alleviating suffering and the causes of suffering. dedicated to the wish that all beings could realize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow, always available here and now. And dedicated to a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, Able to have our hearts break, but remain balanced and effective, functional, caring. May all beings be liberated. you for your practice. All beings are cheering you on. So keep it open. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit